0: welcome back to the show everybody today's guest is the return of my brother jason picard i've had actually both him and his actual brother jared picard on at separate times uh jared of course in the biodynamic farming game and jason is uh paul check's longest uh student protege uh what would you call it mentee something like that um and he's done a lot of cool shit in life he was uh like basically, like the Wolf of Wall Street. I'm sure there's a lot of people that say they are that, or or are that, say they were that after the movie came out. But Jason was the real deal, and he was also really unhealthy, and that started on his health career. Um, we'll link to this original podcast we did. We recapped a little bit of that on this one, just to bring people up to date on who Jason is. But uh, Jason is as qualified as it gets when it comes to finance and the archetype of abundance and he's releasing a new course on the archetype of abundance the abundance archetype and he he does a deep dive on many of the principles that relate to that and many of them you would not even fucking think of anything to do with money uh but they do and they have to they have to do with creating abundance in, in all ways so um this was one when he told me he was going to come out with this course. I was like, I got to get you on the podcast to talk about this because there's like a lot of people, including myself, that want to know how to do better in that regard. And uh, I love, I love what Jason tracks in this. He breaks down a lot of these principles on this podcast, piece by piece. There is free stuff for you um, via his site. We'll link to it in the show notes, so you can get um, his little eight tip printed out, throw it on your iPad, something like that, and just slowly chew through that until you've digested and assimilated it it's very very good stuff um so much appreciated for having jason on the podcast we will run it back with him whenever the fuck he wants to be perfectly honest because he's that good and what else share this with a friend share this with a friend word of mouth has been the way this show has grown mostly over the years and um that's the way it keeps growing so share it with a friend you think will enjoy this podcast Tell them what's up. Tell them to click subscribe. Um, leave us a five-star rating with one or two ways the show's helped you out in life. The homies that organify are doing this all year long, where they select one winner. It's not at random. If you leave a good review with one or two ways the show's helped you out in life, you are entered. So uh, on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you can, uh, especially on iTunes, just click five stars, leave a review, and you'll be entered in. Also, leave your handle on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, wherever you're on. And uh, that'll give us an easy route to connecting you and hooking you up with the goodies. And then, last but not least, support our sponsors. They make this show possible. These have all been handpicked. These are the creme de la creme. And uh, I absolutely love these guys. I recently had Mario on from Onaluma Water, and we talked all things structured water. Also, had Dr. Gerald H. Pollock on. We're talking easy water and structured water and some of the differences there. I've been deep diving water and the reason for that is because structuring water, especially when done with an Onalema stick, has profound changes that take place in the water itself, in your body, in the soil, in the animals who drink it, and everything that comes into contact with it. Are you unready to unlock your true potential of your body and mind to introducing Onalema coherent water, a revolutionary new way to improve your health and well-being? Onalema has been clinically proven to significantly increase ATP levels, the mitochondrial energy of your body. ATP is directly responsible for powering the majority of cellular processes in all living beings. Increased ATP levels results in improved athletic performance, enhanced cognitive function, improved cardiovascular health, and positively affect almost every single area of human health. Furthermore, drinking on water improves the state of your microbiome. This leads to improved digestion, enhanced immune function, reduced inflammation, improved mental health, and finally a reduction in the risk of most chronic diseases. Imagine having more energy, a healthier gut, a clearer mind, and a youthful body. With Onalema Water, it all stops being a dream. Take the first step towards unlocking your true potential. Try Onalema Water and revolutionize your life. Visit coherent-water.com. Every purchase comes with a 100% money-back guarantee so you can literally taste the difference risk-free. And you will taste the difference. That's the thing that fucking blew me away. When I heard Dolph first on Living 4D uh, talking about this stuff, I went and ordered one of their Onalema sticks, started stirring my water. There's two things you'll notice. One, as the water becomes coherent, about, you use about 15 seconds per liter. So if you're doing a gallon, I'll do a whole minute. Uh, you know, 20 ounce is going to go real quick. As you're starting it, you will notice the water starts to change. It doesn't change color, but it changes viscosity. It changes consistency. And that is a visceral palpable difference, not just in the feel of the water, but as it goes down, it tastes different. And and trust me when I say this, like, believe me, don't just believe me. Try it for yourself. There's absolutely no question that lemma works that quickly and it structures it permanently. It's another big one. So once you structured it, you could have that 10 days later, you're going to be fine. All right, check it out. Coherent-water.com. Join the water revolution and enter code KKP for 10% off. That is C-O-H-E-R-E-N-T dash rcom and KKP at checkout for 10% off. We're also brought to you today by my homies at HVMN. I had Michael Brandt on the podcast before, and we're getting the other co-founder, Jeff Wu, to come on here, I think, next week, to be perfectly honest. I think he's coming on in a week from now. And we're going to deep dive. These guys are two Harvard grads that graduated with honors. They've been completely entranced with what can optimize and move the needle on human performance in all aspects, from business to personal, to endurance and physical, to mental, emotional, to all the things. And as they, they created a ketone product that really set itself apart from everything else. I had also made a ketone product when I was on it. It was good. It tasted great. It did a lot. It moved, the, it moved the bar on ketones, but it didn't do what this one does. HVMN is truly in a league of its own. We often hear that fasting and exercise are good for the brain. One reason why is that when we push our bodies to its metabolic limits, we create nature's super fuel, ketones. Ketone IQ delivers clean fuel that can cross the blood-brain barrier supplying your body and brain with sustained energy, mental focus, and sharpness, putting you in a flow lasting for hours. It's no wonder HVMN has a $6 million contract with the U.S. Special Operations Command. These guys are legit. They're working with the best folks on the planet in human performance. I'll tell you right now, this can be used literally for anything. So if you're an endurance athlete and you want to have a, you have a big race coming up, you're training for that big race, ketones are going to help. Even if you do... Uh, high-intensity intervals, like I go into a boxing workout and I'm doing a lot of Tabata, John Hackleman style, where I'm going all out for 20 seconds, 10-second break, doing several rounds of that. It's not going to pump up the glycogen, but it is going to keep the brain switched on, which is the central governor, so you do have more energy longer. And that's a big deal. It's a big deal to say, all right, man, I'm not in great shape, but come round three, round four, round five, I'm still going to have some gas in the tank a big deal. Also for anything like this, podcasting, presenting, learning, grinding, you're trying to figure shit out and you need to study for very long periods of time. Ketones help with that better than anything. It's a very clean fuel for the brain. So check it all out, hvmn.com slash KKP and use promo code KKP at checkout to save 20% on everything in the store. That's hvmn.com slash KKP and use KKP at checkout for 20% off everything they've got. Right, right, we're also brought to you today by one of my longest sponsors, Lucy.co. Look, we're all adults here, and I know some of us choose to use nicotine to relax, focus, or just unwind after a long day. Lucy is a modern oral nicotine company that makes nicotine gum, lozenges, and pouches for adults who are looking for the best, most responsible way to consume their nicotine. It's a new year. Why not start it out by switching to a new nicotine product that you can feel good about? If you enjoy using nicotine, you should definitely check out Lucy's products at lucy.co. That's luc dot and use promo code KKP at checkout. The warning here is uh, this product contains nicotine and nicotine is an addictive chemical. Quite true. Nicotine is fucking awesome and you feel different when you're on it. It actually has a euphoric effect. It increases dopamine as well as fitting into acetylcholine receptors in the brain. It is one of the most magical things that nature has produced. I think about this all the time. Why do we have cannabinoid receptors and there's cannabis plants? Why do we have acetylcholine receptors and nicotine fits right into those slots? Opioid receptors, maybe stay away from those ones. Point being, there is a certain harmony in the orchestration of the the divine game. And tobacco is one of the best, but tobacco is also one of the worst because of the fact that people have bastardized that product. If you want a clean nicotine product, check it out, Lucy.co and use promo code KKP. That is lucy.co, promo code KKP. Last but not least, we're brought to you by my friends at OtherShip. OtherShip is your new mindfulness routine. With over 500 custom-guided breathwork sessions, the OtherShip breathwork app lets you access an on-demand library of sessions to help you regulate your nervous system state. OtherShip sessions are science-backed and music-driven, so whether you have time to practice for one minute or 60, you'll feel the emotional shift when you need it most. Breathe to the rhythm of powerful music with guidance from world-renowned breathwork facilitators to elevate your body and your mind. To elevate your body and mind, decompress after work, energize to start your day, improve focus and performance, wind down for a deep sleep, or release negative emotions with the short exercises when you need them most. Our sessions are active rather than passive, so you're able to focus on your breath rather than drift back into stressful and distracting thoughts. With breathwork, unlike meditation, you experience a visceral psychological shift right away. Rooted in ancient tradition, informed by modern science, and inspired by magic, other ships meticulously curated guided breathwork practices are simultaneously playful, safe, and effective. We combine breathing techniques and guided meditations created by psychotherapists, wellness practitioners, hypnotherapists, artists, DJs, and spiritual teachers, and life coaches. We're here to keep you lifted through all of life's experiences. Check it all out at H-T-T-P-S colon forward slash forward slash O-T-H-E-R-S-H-I-P dot U-S slash K-K-P. And you can use this link for one month free in the OtherShip app. Without further ado, my brother, Jason McCard. Jason McCard, welcome back to the podcast, brother. Yeah, baby.
1: It's <laughs> so yeah. good to be here, man.
0: So good to be here. Um man i'm I'm absolutely stoked to show you the land uh, every time I have the opportunity now unless I'm really pressed for time I try to get people to make the extra thirty minutes outside of Austin to come down and see the farm and um, yeah it's it's but we've been chopping it up talking about different things and you hit me up and you've got a new program coming out that is something I think thought immediately. This is something my listeners need to know about, and and personally, I want to fucking know about it. And I want to take it right. So sure. I want to dive into that. Let's backtrack real quick and talk about you know the the, the hunt that you were on because I haven't had a time to break down this hunt. It was something yeah. that I was super fucking jealous. I didn't get to go on, but I was out in Fit for Service in Sedona uh, when you guys hooked up with monsol and. Um, just like all my friends, you know? It's like, totally. you, Dr. Nathan Riley, all the boys. Talk about that experience. Salemi, Salemi yeah, talk brother, about that yeah. experience and what was coming up, um, what you are able to, to conjure up.
1: Yeah, well, the most interesting thing that I learned was the the influence of astrology on a hunt, right? So when we were looking at that particular date, Mansell had previously had a date about three or four weeks after we wound up going. And he called me and said, you know, my best friend's getting married. They just announced that they want me to be the best man. Can you come a couple weeks earlier? So I'd been talking to a Vedic astrologer and the Vedic astrologer said, look, this is not actually the greatest time to do something aggressive like that. It's more about personal transformation and not so much about going out and being aggressive and, and hunting. And he kind of gave me that in the back of my mind, and I said, "Well, okay, you know, let's just go with it anyway. It just seems to work, so we went on this hunt, and we actually didn't kill anything. We tried, but it was like every little moment that we had was like I had this I had a deer right in my sight just as the the light was fading, and you know the guide calls me off like split second, and you know Nathan had three shots that just went right over a deer, and what I realized was that you know, so much that we miss is like how to work with nature, right? So this whole idea is that there's certain times that are are more conducive to do various activities. And there might be times when it's not actually best to be hunting. And there's times when actually you can go with the flow more. So I realized that it was a really big lesson for me because we were kind of working against the grain of what was naturally flowing through the energies. But we did get that really deep personal transformation process,
0: which was which was incredible. Yeah, but, that's that's part and parcel yeah. for working with Monsel. Yeah. I um I've never thought about the astrology piece, but it actually it makes a lot of sense. You know, I've been fucked up many times where it just so happened to be a full moon. Yes. While we we're hunting. You know, like, oh well, they may be out eating all night and just bedded down, you know, like they might not come out it's sunrise and sunset sure yeah and And it just kind of throws things off just enough you know or they've got enough light that they can move around at night and just sleep all day
1: it's it's these subtle little differences that make a big difference right so i talk about this with the moon as well we often all of us really are living like it's a new moon every single day, right? So just like we have to have times of the day that we can be most productive for various activities, maybe in the morning we take personal time, maybe then we have a few hours where we're doing writing or whatever we're doing, then we have our kid time and it's really good to kind of structure this time. Maybe we have sacred time with our wife or our partner at various times. We should also be looking at our on a larger scale over the entire month, how we structure our days, right? So, you know it's pretty obvious with a woman's cycle that they have that they're tied to the twenty nine day cycle of the moon. But for men, we're also tied as well. Our testosterone levels, our energy levels, our ability to get good quality sleep, um, our relationship conflicts, all of these things are very correlated to the moon. So if you start looking at the idea that, around a new moon I'm likely to have the most amount of energy, the most amount of feel good chemicals and hormones pumping through me because it's when I was supposed to be most attractive to get a mate, right? Or versus, it's darkest outside. Yeah, and then <laughs> you know ver- versus the the other time when I'm supposed to be, you know, more reflective and resting and going kind of into myself. So many of us wake up each day like we think it's should be the biggest meeting and the biggest workout and and you know, we're prime time all the time, but that's a great way to burn out. When we can learn to work with nature when we can learn to work with the cycles of the moon for that matter we can actually have more ease and more fluidity and kind of it's the art of, of sailing versus the art of rowing and so I learned that uh, very deeply on that on that hunt
0: yeah that's been a, um, a big one for me is is I, I mean they, there's so many little I call them god nods you know like whether it's a synchronicity or uh, I don't know if you've seen Dune or read the books, but mm-hmm. there's uh, Dune is fucking layered with it. It's one of my favorite fictions because there's so many like universal capital T truths that are that are like the, the 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 underpinnings of how consciousness works. You know, and one of the lines in the movie is taken from the book is that life is a series is, is like a uh, a series of flow, and the more we come into contact with that flow, the easier it becomes, and the more we go against that flow, the harder it is. Right, and that's paraphrasing loosely, but um
1: it's spot on. I mean, that, that's that's essentially, you know, my course is called the abundance archetype. And I had to do a big deep dive into what does abundance actually mean, right? I mean, we use these words, oh, surrender, acceptance, abundance, God, spirituality. But what do these words actually mean? What do they what do they mean to me? It it was like a big part of trying to discover what this abundance archetype was all about. And when I looked into the word abundance, the root word was unda. And unda comes from Varuna which is the Deva of water or the, the water spirits, the personified laws of nature in the water. And so we're 80% water, right? So abundance is really learning how to flow, how to flow within yourself and how to flow with nature and how to flow with the world around you. And so when you get that fluidity and when you can, it's not necessarily about always being happy, about always being lucky, but being able to flow with the ups and downs of life, that is
0: abundance. And when you can learn to flow with nature, it can make your life that much more abundant. That's huge. Yeah. I I mean, the the words you mentioned do get kind of tossed around loosely, especially in different communities and things like that. But it reminds me of uh, one of Paul's recent podcasts, and you just got back from spending some time. If we have time, we'll dive into some of that. I did, yeah. Paul. Yeah. Um, Paul check. You know when he talks about the Imago Day archetype, you know the Imago Day yep. from Jung, that that is your your archetypal understanding of God. That's different for everybody, sure, right? Like universally, you might think you're talking about the same thing, but you're clearly not, right? In, in my podcast with Peter Crone, just from like my understanding of the universe, like well, that there's a story there that imprints the whole fucking thing, as it turns out, right? Yeah. Um. So yeah, when you talk about things like abundance, I mean, a lot of people will think automatically, like, oh, that's that's money, that's wealth, or that's time, or that's freedom, or that's different things, but sure. in any of those words you mentioned, right, there is, um, there's a deeper root to those. And that's why I love your background, you know, in yeah. Sanskrit and these deeper meanings well, think where about where they spiri- originate from.
1: Think right? about spirituality, right? Oh, I'm spiritual. Well, what the heck does that mean, right? <laughs> what does that mean? What well, if you look up the word spirituality, it comes from to breathe. It comes from the air or the wind. And so what we're, re- what we're really saying is it's like, it's something ephemeral, something that we can't touch. And so what we're, trying to, what we're trying to do is we're using the English, English language, which is an object-based language. that's so really good for explaining the material world. But what we're trying to point to is something that's not from here. When we say we're spiritual, we're saying we're not from here, but we're trying to use words from here, right? Mm. So all of these things like God and spirituality, they're hard to describe. It's not really our fault, but the English language is not actually suited
0: to describe these things that are from somewhere else. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of nouns. I, I've listened to a number of people come out recently and talking about, you know, things are verb. you know, they're action, right? Like when Peter said, maybe the universe is loving, try that on for size, right? Not God is love. The universe is loving, right? Right, Because it is an action and it's, and it's perpetual. It's always in the now, but it, it's always happening, right? Always changing, but always happening. It's loving. That's true. You know, and that was, that was a big one for me. And that's, there's a lot of, um, as he said, too, you know, that we think when we're talking about something that our words are descriptive, but they're actually creative, right? So yeah. we think that by, by having a lot of nouns and, and we can state things as they are, you know, but reality is that they're actually doing and becoming and they're, they're inging the whole time.
1: Yeah, even love. We have one word for all kinds of love, but we know there's many kinds of love. There's the, the love we have with our intimate partner. There's the love we have with a child. There's the love we have with a pet, right? And love we have for a teacher, we love, we say we love our car, right? We love certain foods. <laughs> I do love my truck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it, love in and of itself isn't even a good descriptor for all of the different kinds of experiences and the flavors of love. You know, all the different ways that it can be expressed, right? So, words really don't do these things justice, especially words in the English language that aren't really there to develop states and stages of consciousness and different levels of psychological development and experiences.
0: Beautiful. Well, let's dive into abundance. And I'm sure this conversation will take us many different areas. Um, Just backtracking, you know, like you guys had this experience where you didn't get anything on the hunt, but you were um, in a journey on the land and in that journey, all of this came to you.
1: Yeah. It was so interesting because I was thinking to myself, you know, oh, I can't, I'm trying to do this course. I'm like, racking my brain in front of my computer for weeks and months. How do I synthesize everything that I learned from Wall Street to all the personal development coaching and all the people that I've worked with from Paul Cech to Tai Chi Masters and et cetera? How do I synthesize this into one digestible eight-week course that someone's going to actually be able to take and get something out of? And I said, all right, I don't really have time for this hunt, but I'm going to go and I'm going to do it. And it just so happened in the moment when we're on this journey and we're taking you know, a relatively light dose of medicine for me and I'm lying under a pecan tree. And in that moment, the whole map just comes into me. And I, I learned so much about this like receptive, more feminine approach to business, how it's not really, well, the, the, the vision I got was, it's not so much time under tension, which is a big mm. workout concept. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. more about time intention or time attention. Mm. And that came to me in, in that moment and all the different uh, steps for the course were really laid out for me. And, and I went home with this incredible map, which uh, then I spent the next three or four months developing, which came became the Abundance Archetype.
0: Fuck yeah. Well, I want to dive right in. I do want to mention, you know, I've only had this happen to me once. It was on a soul wander in uh, Sedona. And Anahata said like, you know, you're not out hiking, find a fucking place, you know, and connect to it, connect to an element. You know, mm-hmm. and I was thinking about that. I'm like, man, I really feel connected like a a strong desire to be next to water. And um, Aubrey's land in Sedona is like 40 acres, but it backs against uh, National Forest, right? With Bear Mountain, which is just the, the most pristine, largest mountainside in Sedona. And uh, and I was like, well, the only water is this natural pond he just put in, and it feels like cheating going back to his house. But I'm gonna fucking do it. And right. I went and laid right by this this little stream, you know, and 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 it all came to me, you know, for full temple reset with the fast and with the the mobility and doing all these things at the same time, sauna, cold, bringing in Godzi for a lot of the Jungian work. Um, so so personally, I have experience with that. In one time where it's like it really is just that I'm listening. You know, and yeah i've I've had some shit that I've been working on, but almost in the in the surrender of letting that go, then it yeah. all fucking floods in you know the perfect map, so let's dive into the perfect map, yeah. of abundance and yeah, I think that's a phenomenal you know thing that I want to give extra credit to is like if you're if you're also trying to figure something out like this, maybe instead of sitting in front of the computer and racking your brain, like get out in nature and just listen
1: no there's that's what my whole course is about I mean, you know if you it, I'll just say two things in that before we before we jump in, what I learned in that moment was that I was actually an employee of the course. <laughs> I was working for her. Mm. And, I, and that, that, that switch at that vantage point where I realized this is not about me or about what I want to produce, but I'm in service of this bigger thing. And I started listening to what she wanted to express. What were, what were her goals and, and desires and boundaries and limits? And when I started getting into that mindset, then this, the course started coming. And that's a totally receptive state where this is not the, you know, you're not the driver of the podcast. You're actually working for the Kyle Kingsbury podcast in service of this bigger mission. That that the things that we create actually have dreams of their own. They're actually alive entities right yeah they're they're almost like beings and when you can engage and i do a lot of different things even with my drum in this course where i tap people in to meet the image of their business and listen to to him or her and to receive information and that was a total kind of switch in, in, in my perspective
0: of how to relate to what I wanted to create. That's massive. You know, when I, I both of us have read the book Egregores, mm-hmm. and when I think of it, I think of like giant shitty corporations like Google or <laughs> Microsoft, yeah. something like that. But I don't think of it in terms of like, you know, a very small entrepreneurship or, you know, a little podcast or this or that, you know, and, and they, those, those things absolutely have their, their archetypical symbology, their spirit, the thing that keeps it alive that's that's driving itself yeah. really that we're in service to.
1: And, and, and one of the ones that was big for me was looking at the market. You know, I came from the Wall Street background. Looking at the market as a person, right? Like, instead of waking up each day, and th- this is what I go deep into this course, but instead of waking up each day and saying, how am I going to figure out this market? Well, how many numbers can I crunch? How much analysis can I do? How many... You know, I don't know balance sheets. Can I look at or whatever your you know charts or whatever it is that you're doing? What if I spent a few minutes listening to her? And so my boss Paul Tudor Jones used to call it Mr. Market, but I I developed a relationship of calling it Mrs. Market. You know, this is not really an agenda thing, but in terms of the, the masculine and feminine energies, you know, masculine energy is usually more linear and logical and the market is more like circular and emotional and erratic and irrational, right? <laughs> it could break your heart and it could take you to the highest, the highest. It's much more of a feminine experience to me. And so I, I got in this practice of just developing meditations where I could listen to the market and try to tap into her heartbeat and her rhythm and say, how can, you know where are you going? and i just want to follow you instead of trying to figure you out and control you realizing that you are this entity with dreams and high dreams and low dreams and moods and you know desires and 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 you know i'm just in, in service of this i'm just i'm just trying to listen to you and so for me that was like a mind blowing flip that really helped my career and that's one of the things i wanted to bring into this course you know i think it's really more important than ever because with ai just Increasing at an exponential rate, which I'm sure everybody is, is well aware of if you have a heartbeat. <laughs> Anywhere you look, it's it's replacing jobs and it's it's improving a lot of things in 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 some ways. And it's a, a huge danger and a threat in many other ways. But you know, in my course, I teach people to find what is their competitive edge, right? What is your differentiating factor that your uniqueness that being you, you are the best asset and you are the, the greatest technology you have. Investing in yourself is the best thing you can do on all levels because there's nobody else like you. You're, you're <laughs> so unique, right? And so when I thought about what is, what is our competitive edge of being human? What do we have that computers, machines don't have? Well, we have four point nine 4.9 billion years of evolution pumping through our veins. Talk about market research, right? <laughs> Talk about market research. We have the intelligence of our heart. Machines don't have a heart, right? We have, we have all the wisdom of our body, the gut brain, the, all the bacteria in the microbiome, and we have the ability to dream. And I think dreaming is the greatest AI. And so for me, it's like, if we want to compete you know let alone survive if we want to compete you know if we want to compete and survive and thrive in this world where ai is taking over we must get back to the future we must get back to the things that make us human that are our competitive edge you know ai will just as easily make an atomic bomb as it will you know do uh, make technology that could clean water or save children's lives right it doesn't have any discernment so we have to use the things that make us human we have to get back to our heart, our the intelligence of our body and our dreaming capacities and use those to actually compete in this world that's getting more and more left brain. And so it, we have to move into the right brain. We have to move into the whole brain thinking or we're going to get annihilated because we're trying to play their game on their turf, right? It'd be like if you went into uh, an MMA fight and you were, you were doing, you were using like you know, you're doing uh, going against some jujitsu master or something like that, and you were going to try to play their game instead yeah, of let me playing pull, pull
0: guard with the yeah Jiu-Jitsu instead master. of playing <laughs> instead of playing
1: whatever is your strength, right? And it's the same thing that we're doing, but we're we're playing the game of, of the AI of the machines by only using our left brain logical analysis day in and day out, trying to control things and figure things out and giving over our power to it instead of getting back to like getting our feet on the ground, connecting with nature connecting into our infinite intelligence, using the power of dreaming when we go to sleep at night and we don't have to do anything, but pay attention and, and record them and interact with them in that kind of way and listen to our bodies. Our bodies have so much wisdom and they can inform our business decisions, right? So this is really the essence of why I wanted
0: to create this. Fuck yeah, that's so good. Yeah, yeah. it's making me think of like Ken Wilber, Structure Stages of Consciousness. And obviously, you've know, you you've heard many times, I've been worked with Paul longer than anyone else. Um, and Paul has mentioned on many podcasts with different guests, but the structure stages of consciousness, as we move through, you transcend and include. And we know but we've been stuck in the mental stage and and at the cost of everything else, right? Like Intelligent people who are connected will be inclusive of the archetypical stages and the magical stages and, and understand the beauty and essentialism from each of those stages, including right. the mental stage. But most people have have forgone everything else as utter nonsense. And now yeah. they think this is the holy grail, right? But locking into that, aeromonic, whatever you want to call it, we're, we're doomed to lose there. We're doomed to be outgunned there. Like we have to incorporate and we have to find whatever that next stage is and in, transcend and include the mental stage.
1: Yeah. And not only are they locked in these, in these stages of consciousness, they're also locked in very, uh, particular states of consciousness, completely consensus reality- ordinary thinking instead of going into dreaming or altered states or non-ordinary non states of consciousness as well, which are really useful. I mean, every every part of ourselves deserves a seat at the table, right? If we have to access all parts of ourselves, and this is just not everybody in a business, every part of on it or fit for service, everyone deserves a seat at the table and everyone's voice matters. You know, the, the person sweeping the floors might not have the same vote, As the CEO but that voice is listened to because that's an important part of the whole the same thing with the parts of ourselves we need to listen to all parts of ourselves and bring all parts of ourselves to the table and and give it a voice which includes all the stages of consciousness and all the states of consciousness as well I love that yeah
0: well let's dive in here let's dive into some of the juicy details one of the things that I love, you know, and I didn't have time to go through the whole thing, but I, uh, you had sent me like a brief kind of overlay of yeah. things, you know, slide by slide, and I was looking at it. One of the things I love is the incorporation of the body. I love that that it's not, you're not just looking at this thing from like a, an, an ideological, here, this is what abundance means, and this is how to get there. Like you understand the entire system. Yeah, Must be on board with that. Talk a bit about how the body plays into this.
1: Yeah, the body is hugely important. I mean, the reason, one of the reasons I did this is because when I was on Wall Street, I witnessed that there was a mental and physical health crisis, okay? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like this group gets overlooked for this, but these people like oddly are really suffering their health is worse than most other groups their uh, their their mental health is terrible i mean i was literally witnessing people having heart attacks and strokes throughout my career on the trading floor while i was there and many of these people have high levels of depression high levels of anxiety and they they, they get to a point like i did where they realize that abundance must mean more than just making money it must be wealth and well-being right like what's the point of all this success if I don't have any health or if I don't have any purpose in my life. So that was really the driving factor is, you know I experienced that myself on the deepest level possible. I was 330 pounds on Wall Street. I was in a really bad place, despite the fact that I was one of the most successful traders in the world at 26 years old. And so there was like this huge paradox of feeling rich, but also feeling broke at the same time, You know, broke in. And so that really kind of dr- drove my interest into, into creating something that can actually make people feel you know, successful, but also beautiful, you know, um, abundant financially, but also have some feeling of reciprocity and purpose and thinking about seven generational returns, thinking about net impact versus net worth. I think that's one of the most screwed up things we do. We look up online what's this person's net worth? I mean, how much money do they have in a bank, right? But, you know, wealth is meant to be. Perform—it's a verb, like we were talking about. It's like, what's, how is your money performing? How many jobs is it creating? What's its impact? What kind of products and solutions are is it creating? Not how much is accruing in a bank account somewhere, you know, in Switzerland or something like that, <laughs> or in the Caribbean, right? So, you know, what what I essentially did was I realized that I took everything that I learned from Paul Tudor Jones when I was investing, and realized that what if all of those Techniques and and uh, secrets to being a successful investor actually worked if you applied them to investing in yourself, and that was sort of the basis for it. And I also started studying flow states, and what I realized that you know I was studying Jamie Wheel and Stephen Kotler's work with the with the uh, stealing fire, stealing fire, and I, I think it's the Human or the Flow Genome Project. Mm-hmm. I forget yep. what they call it, and their work dates back to Mihai Chiu Mihai, one of the. The, the, the founders of, of flow science in the 1960s. And he sends it back to American psychologist, William James in the 1800s. And as the founder of sort of flow research, right? But what I realized was like a lot of that work, as good as it was, it really didn't give me a systematic approach to how to cultivate those states. How do I do this every day in my life in a way that actually makes sense that I can ritualize? And when I realized that American psy- uh, psychologist, William James was heavily influenced by India, And that got me into this deep dive into yoga. And I realized that the eight limbs of Ashtanga yoga were essentially eight systematic steps that our ancestors had been doing for tens of thousands of years to create perfection and flow states in their life. And so that's what I took sort of as the foundation for my eight steps that I just sort of modernized and combined everything from Wall Street and everything from my personal development into following those eight steps to essentially creating a flow state where you're performing and feeling at your best where you have wealth and well-being right so the the first step and i'd love to walk you through this a little bit yes, please. Is, is creating your own process like you must find your way or your highway you know frank sinatra said i did it my way right <laughs> that's the key it's like There's only one of us ever with these fingerprints. There's no two snowflakes are alike. We must individuate and and, and actualize our fullest potential to be successful. It's really, really crucial. And so the first thing is defining your competitive edge. So when I worked for Paul Tudor Jones, he would say to every single employee that was trying to get hired there, how is it that you make money? What is it that you do? And explain it to me in one to two sentences at a fifth grade reading level right so it's like the simplicity is the ultimate sophistication and many people would stumble on that so you know if i asked you about what makes the Kyle Kingsbury podcast great like what it is that you do that
0: differentiates your podcast from every other one yeah the first thing that comes to mind is is i get paid to learn and teach what i learn through my experience right Right, so I'm a guinea pig in some ways, but yeah, just those those two, I get yeah. paid to learn and 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 teach through my experiences.
1: So that's your competitive edge for your podcast, which is which is really good. And then most people really stop there. But what my course then, where it continues, it is, how do you, what's your competitive edge for your life? Right, like how do you define like what diet works best for you? What diet creates stable, repeatable returns for you? What movement practices create this competitive edge, this differentiating factor for you. How much sleep do you need? Not what you know. You read in a book. What's happy making for you, right? Um, how do you learn best? You know, do you need to work in teams? Do you need to work alone? Do you? How many certifications do you need? And all of these various things. But it's developing not only a competitive edge and a process for what provides a stable, repeatable returns that are different from others in our business, but also. Realizing that we must create that in our
0: own life with all of the practices from diet to exercise, et cetera. Yeah, that's so massive. I mean, I'm just thinking about that. One thing I did at the beginning of this year was I made a commitment to do um, some form of mobility every single day this year. I've missed three days. We're, you know, pretty close to April here. So that's not bad. One day missed per month. Um, And uh, my wife, you know, had 200 hours of yoga teacher training. So we'll do Ashtanga or Vipassana. And if we've got that for 45 minutes or an hour, that's the best. If we don't, all I got to do is get up against the wall and do a super couch stretch from Kelly Strett for cool. six to six to uh, eight minutes total. You know, four minutes each leg, three minutes each leg. As long as I fucking hit that, I still check the box. Yeah. And what I've found is that most of the time, because that's my best bang for my buck, stretch. Mm-hmm. That one. What I found is that the more consistent I am, the easier it is to actually do a 16-minute routine or a 30-minute routine as, as I've done that. My entire experience is better. I feel loose, you know, but going I go to boxing once a week and everything's like that. But everything's improved. My general energy's improved in all the ticky tack old injuries like neck pain. I'm not stretching my neck, and yet at the same time, as as we know through Paul's work, you know, like, yeah. as I'm stretching my chest and my hand out. Pretty I'm sure fucking, it's all connected in there. <laughs> yeah. And the super couch stretch. You know, I'm yeah. freeing my fucking all this anterior chain. Voila, no fucking neck pain. Right? right. So um right. That that to me has been one of the single greatest differences because From the amount of lifting and and boxing and things that I do, I'm a little bit more on the stiff side. So I have to do that, right? My wife is super bendy, like contortionist. She needs to lift to stiffen up, or she's too bendy. She's too mobile, right? And And that's the beauty of the the
1: unique approach and finding what works for you, right? I mean, if you went to like a CrossFit and you get, get everyone gets the same workout across, you know, a thousand gyms, or you know, you go to a doctor and you're getting the same prescription. It's like we are not data sets you know paul talks about this really well he he quotes marie louise von france one of the top jungian analysts who says if you took 2000 tons of stone and the stones had an average weight of 20 pounds per stone if you sifted through all the 2 the 2000 uh the 2 tons or whatever it is uh, amount of stones you might not find one stone that was actually 20 pounds because it's it's the law of averages and that's the problem with these these prescribed for all mass uh, exercise programs, diets, you know, business strategies, whatever. It's like the whole juice is in the individuation and the uniqueness that we are not a data set. We are not an average. There, we, we have our own you know, stories and our own injuries, our own traumas, our own dreams, and their own processes that are moving through us. And it, we, if we don't tap into that, we're not going to ever really be successful. On any level. I love that. Yeah. So, once you define this competitive edge, the second one is what I call unit sizing. So, just a little bit uh, you know, on Wall Street, once I know what my edge is. So, for me, I was a weather trader, right? So, I actually studied how the weather impacted different commodity markets. So if it was like extremely cold, let's say in the winter in New York and Chicago, there'd be a lot of demand for natural gas. I was gonna say, is this like trading places? Where, it's where like they, that. the corn exchange yeah. market. Yes, yeah, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty funny. I was just doing some videos where I was analyzing for fun some of those like key trading scenes. Like uh-huh. real trader talks about this. <laughs> I had some fun doing that. But yeah, my I was working with the Wolf of Wall Street and some of the some of the key movies. But it's very much like. Like that concept, you know, trading places, they were on a, a commodity exchange, I think, doing frozen orange juice or something mm-hmm. like that. And I did trade frozen orange juice. There are times when there'd be weather events like freezes in, in Florida. If it got cold enough in Florida or in Brazil, the, the oranges would freeze and then it would the price would go up. So we went around the world knowing where were the most weather sensitive times of uh, locations and times of year for various crops, whether or not it's like corn and soybeans in the midwest in the summer in the u.s or natural gas or oil or the the impacts of hurricane season anything that the weather touched that was our focus but when it was a time of year when the commodity was was not weather sensitive we didn't touch it right because we knew what our edge was and we actually realized as part of it that there's not a lot of weather in these, what we call shoulder months, these April and October times, because they're in between seasons. And so our edge actually went negative, where we realized that when we were working in April and October, we were always losing money because we actually had no competitive edge. So we decided to take those months completely off from trading, mm. which is like this incredible thing that like you're working less, but you're actually saving money. So for me, it was, it was really knowing when the, the times were the most weather sensitive, and then when I had the biggest opportunities, I would bet according to the opportunity set in front of me. Imagine if you're playing like counting cards in blackjack and you were really good at that, even though it's it's not technically legal, but <laughs> let's just say you could do that. You, you would be betting larger when you thought that the hand was more likely to be stacked in your favor. Yeah, and you'd it's be weighted. weighted. Yeah, yeah. And you'd be betting smaller. And the same thing happens in investing. So big opportunity, big bet. Small opportunity, small bet. No opportunity, no bet. I mean, it's really that simple. But then how do we carry that over to our life? So if we look at the units, our units or our bet size as our time, our energy, our money and our resources, how are we deploying those assets into these different categories versus what's working for us? So really analyzing where's our money going? Where's our time going? Where's our energy going? How are we actually utilizing our resources? And is it in accordance with our competitive edge that we know now we've defined as what works best for us, right? And so like what, what I like to talk about is this actually gives this risk reward approach to life. So this is kind of fun. In trading, we look for these three to one reward risk opportunities, meaning that when you go into an investment, you wanna have the perceived or the potential reward To be at least three times greater than what you can lose. So, you know, one of the big things that we used to say is you only have to be as good as a Hall of Fame baseball player. (laughs) So, a Hall of Fame baseball player probably has a batting average of what, like, you know, 300, 325, maybe the best ever is like 350, probably the career batting average. I can't imagine it's it's anywhere even close to 400. I'm not sure. But the idea being that if you have a 300 or 350 batting average, you can get out six or seven out of 10 times and still be in the Hall of Fame. So when, when you carry that over to, to, to a trader, the idea is you're constant, when you're getting out, you're trying to take those small losses, small losses, small losses. But then when you get on, you have a home run. And that's how you manage that. But we don't really look at the risk reward of all the choices we make in our life. What are the risk rewards of our diet? What are the risk rewards for going out for a drink after work, you know what are the risk reward of our of our movement practices and, and so forth. So, you know, for example, one 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 way to break that down is even looking at at love languages, right? So, you know, you have the different love languages like quality time, you know, acts of service, physical touch, etc. Gift giving, yeah. gift giving, yeah. So, let's just say my my wife Kara, let's say her biggest gift that I could give her is giving her an hour off from the kids to take a bath.
0: We're looking at massage, right? That seems to be pretty high on the scale. That's a big, even, yeah. even if it's not their number one. <laughs> That's a big thing.
1: But if I com- if I come home with like an expensive gift, it's not going to have the the reward versus the risk of what I spent on it compared to if I actually was in alignment with her values of hey, I could spend nothing give her two hours alone to get a massage or to take a bath or just to read a book. And that's gonna have a huge bang for my buck, right? So starting to look at these things in her life, like what are the risk rewards of what we're doing? What are the risk rewards of, you know, having a natural diet versus having, you know, supplements or hormone replacements or testosterone or various things? Really looking like what's the benefit and what's the downside? You know, there might be some rewards for going out with our buddies after work for a drink, but like, Maybe we're gonna get tired or do something we regret and then we're gonna come in the next day and perform poorly at work. There's an intersectionality with all of the things that we do in our life and all the things that we do in our work and they feed on each other, right? If we're stressed out at work, we come home, we get in a fight with our partner. If we get in a fight with our partner, we don't get enough sleep, we go into work the next day and we're doing poorly. And it just it's just this hamster wheel. So I encourage people in this section to really look at the risk reward and try to find things that are asymmetrically positive for them. Like sleep, for example, has an incredible risk reward
0: profile. It's free. There's no downside and it has huge upside, right? Yeah. That's a that's a home run every fucking night. Yeah. As long as I say yes and I'm in bed by nine for me personally. You yeah. Know, if I fall asleep by nine thirty, that's my best sleep ever. If I go to bed past that, I get a second wind. So yeah. it's no yeah, point of, But yeah. Yeah, so that's 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 totally
1: what you do. So now that you have your competitive edge and you understand how to use your units of time, energy, money, and resources appropriately in accordance with that edge, you have to create systems of evaluation to see how you're doing. So you know, there's there's a lot of different ways to look at this, but you know, with your podcast, of course, you could look at you know how many downloads you're getting or you know the sponsorships and commissions and or whatever that is for you, right? But how do we set up systems of evaluation? to know how our body's doing, right? Like, and this comes all, all comes from how to eat, move, and be healthy, but looking at your stools, looking at your energy level, looking at your sex drive, how you look in the mirror, you know, what's your mood like been lately? What does your partner say your mood is like, right? And, and all these different ways to evaluate ourselves. So we must then set up these systems of evaluation to know how our investments in our business or in our personal life, and how we're actually allocating our units, how are they actually performing? And to do a recapitulation, constantly evaluating the choices we're making and how they're actually, what the results are. And then we can learn to update the process as we go along,
0: right? Yeah, and that's, that's gotta be huge for everyone because even if, even, even if we've you know, studied with Paul and, and done the things that we've done, there can be a tendency to get into routine, And Mm -hmm. not necessarily flow, but just like, this is what I've got going on on Monday, and this is my Tuesday, and this is my Wednesday, and not actually poking holes in that and seeing it from different angles to, to really ask, like, is this working? Is this how I want this dialed in? You know, does this does this feed Dr. Happiness? Is this the best way I can have this set up?
1: Yeah, yeah, that really totally. resonates. Yeah. yeah, if we're spending a lot of time in a particular area, but we're not getting the result, we have to then update it. You know, we have to be constantly going through this recapitulation of our life, even down to the smallest, the, the, the seemingly smallest details, and really analyzing every choice, every thought, every action. How what's the impact, and, and what's the result? And is that actually getting me a good return versus the risks I'm taking of spending my units there? So that's the third step. The fourth step is this what I call the art of stalking, which is is really cool. It, 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 <laughs> it,
0: fucking creeper.
1: Yeah. Well, it came from Car- it came from Carlos Castaneda's work. And the one that we're stalking is ourself. We're stalking herself, And so this is what, I like when I talked about looking at these intersectionalities, looking at how all these different things correlate to our business, to our, our home, and to our health. Then it's this idea of paying attention to our body, right? I talk about our body symptoms can be our greatest investment ally, which is a really trippy thing to think about. It because most of us really want to numb out our body symptoms. But let's just say I'm about to do a trade, or this could be anything. You could, you're about to. Talk. Uh, you maybe introduce a new guest, or think about it, having a new guest on a podcast, or making a new decision with your you know your investments, or going to build something on on your property, or whatever it is. I'm, I'm imagining I'm there. I'm, I'm sitting on Wall Street, and I'm about to make a trade, but I feel something in my stomach. Right? Many people. I saw everybody on Wall Street just go and take an Advil or a Tylenol. I mean, they just have these like boxes and boxes of boxes. Tums. Of that kind of <laughs> shit. Yeah, it's just like Tom's all the over-the-counter, like things that people think are harmless. And they just completely numb that out. They get a headache, multiple Advil. Stomachache, multiple Advil. What if that was actually the wisdom of your body coming there to give you a message that maybe something's not right about what you're about to do? What if that's your greatest teacher, right? So what if I'm if I'm going to go there, I'm going to push a buy button, let's say, and I start to feel that instead of numbing it out, I take a moment to pause, and I and I and I go deeper th- and through exercises in, in my course, how to go deeper into exploring what's the message that's emerging there, right? And there's also the, the this, this concept of double signal. So you know, less than ten percent of our our uh, of the information coming from us comes from what we say. The rest is coming from our body or how we feel emotionally or our body language. So, you know, th- th- we've all seen this thing when we, when we talk to somebody say, "Oh, how you doing?" and they're like, "Oh yeah, I'm good, I'm good." You know, the, you know. <laughs> you're looking off at his face. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or if you know uh, you're about to shake hands on a deal and the person looks away, right? Those, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. It. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that this one's gonna work out. Okay. Maybe I want to rethink this. Right. <laughs> So like we can start to study those things. Times that where our body is not congruent with what we're saying can be huge opportunities to rethink what's happening, right? It's not necessarily don't do it. It might be do it bigger. It might be do it in a in, in a new way, create a new way to do it. It might be, this is not good for me at all, but it's an opportunity to stop and notice that something inside of me, the deeper wisdom part of me, that the one that's, pumping my heart and breathing me and digesting my breakfast and all of that, the one that can do way more computations than I could ever imagine doing, remembering like a 10 digit phone number at best is telling me that something is not congruent with this decision and there's more to explore here. And this carries over obviously into our life, Into it's an incredible way to, to, to do relationship work, right? You know, you're there with your partner and you say, hey, you know, do you want to go out to dinner tonight? And she's like okay, yeah, let's go you know okay well that's an opportunity to say well i I noticed that there was something going on there you know can, can you explore that a little bit you know what, what was that about and then you know she might say, you know well I really want to go with you tonight, but I, I just I'm really tired can we just watch a movie tonight and stay home and maybe make some popcorn and maybe later this week we can go out to dinner and that that might stop you from going out and having a shitty time or getting into a huge fight right The same thing with an employee if you went over to an employee and said, hey can you can you take on this new task or can you work tonight or can you do whatever it is and you notice that there's something not congruent with their body language versus what they're saying usually they're going to be too shy because they're afraid to say no to you as the manager or the boss they're just going to say yes but there's something unconscious see the truth of your body can't be hidden because imagine if we were in a tribe tens of thousands of years ago. And you stole all of the bananas from the tribe or something to eat for yourself. And there's like 50 of us over here starving. That's the same reason that muscle testing works and kinesiology works because there's a survival mechanism built into the body that it always will tell the truth. And so you can tap into that wisdom, that 5 billion years of evolution when you're investing or making any decisions or working with with an employee or a manager. So, Even though that person that you're telling them, hey, can you take this task on? And they're saying yes. The wisdom of their body that they can't lie is saying no. And that could actually be helpful for you because if you give them that project and they don't finish it or they're miserable, it's not gonna come out how you want it anyway. You're gonna have to redo it. So these are a lot of the things that we're doing in in this section. And in addition, recognizing the places that we have stuck points right you're i know that you're really d- deep into this work but you know it's about getting comfortable with the uncomfortable so I, I i give you know it could be like cold plunges or saunas or fasting or retreating or darkness retreats or whatever it is but the idea is how do we know when we when, when we're on the edge of like really stepping into a great opportunity but we're a little bit timid versus our body signals telling us that we need to pull back that's a really subtle thing. And the only way to do it is to really get comfortable with the edge. Right? So, it's like, you know, I'm just curious, like, what are some of the ways that, that you do that, like, in your life that, that you feel like you push yourself a little bit so you can be more comfortable with with yeah, the uncomfortable mean, the, the, stuff? The
0: easiest is the the hot and cold because it's yeah. still like, I mean, <laughs> if I'm not consistent with it. It's still not fun, you know. It's still there's still a point where it's like, fuck, man, this thing's down to thirty-five. Who turned it down that low? You know, like get it at forty. You know, like let me respectable number, yeah. yeah. Let me use it to forty. Or you know, the the the, Rogan calls it the inner bitch. You know, but I'm in there at the ten minute mark, and I'm like, I know I set my timer for fifteen, but I'm just going to do twelve. You know, and it's like, well, actually, maybe I'll fucking try to hang out this last three minutes where it's where it's juicy for me, and and that's where I'm going to get maybe the most benefit. Yeah. You know, if I can actually remain calm in the storm. Yeah. And it's, you know, as you do, like and Wim Hof teaches, you know, when you go in the cold, it's not how long you go, it's how quick can you find your center there. Yeah. How quick can I slow my breathing down so I'm not, <laughs> and I'm actually calming the nervous system yeah. in the face, right? In the yeah. eye of the hurricane.
1: And that's the key because that's, that's what carries over into the business. Because then when you're under fire and you're making decisions you know, in the heat of the moment, whether or not you're investing or even in like a relationship conflict or whatever it is, you need to know how to find that center so you can be really in tune with that wisdom. Because if you're getting thrown around and you're getting the, kind of the inner critic and you're getting nervous and you're off your center, you're not going to be able to make good decisions. So this is all this idea of getting comfortable with those moments. And one of the ways that the flow guys, uh, Jamie Wheel and, and, and how I talk about is pushing yourself 3 to 4% over your current skill level challenging yourself a little bit more and what what it shows is that actually life satisfaction doesn't seem to come from always winning it doesn't seem to come from the easy win what it really comes from is actually win or lose the growth process so if you know if i'm if we play chess and you're slightly better than me i actually find more satisfaction trying to play you win or lose than if I beating somebody who's you know ten percent less than me just to wipe the floor with them, so like the, the life satisfaction actually comes from slightly pushing ourselves constantly above our skill level. If it's too much, if you know, I said, hey, go in the cold plunge for an hour, right? It, you'd just be overwhelmed. And if if it's too easy, I said, hey, just go, you know, dunk your head in. It's too light, <laughs> you know. So take a cool shower. Yeah, take a, <laughs> jump in the pool. So yeah, that's this whole idea, and, and you know, th- these things like. There can be really simple ways to practice them. I mean, one of the ways that I find actually most difficult is actually going over my edge to say to somebody in my day how I really feel about them a little bit m- more deeply than Ooh, I is, normally yeah, say. That's
0: fucking just yeah, I almost, God, I isn't that, that my body? Yeah, just like, <laughs> All right, so just I'm like oh God, I'm getting uncomfortable.
1: <laughs> how do I how do I express the love for? I'm just thinking of my mom right now, or my dad, or my brother, or my wife, or my kids or even anybody, even you right now, like how do I just go over my edge and just tell you like how much I just appreciate you as a person and being here in this podcast, you know, like that is edge work and that's tough to do, especially for many of us that are like closed down emotionally. So it can be like making a sound you've never made. It could be trying a new position out in bed with your partner that you've never tried out. It can be just like literally just expressing yourself in a way that you've never expressed, but systematically exercising those edge muscles a really important part of, of really performing at your best yeah that. that's yeah that's looking great yeah so then i'll uh, just to go quickly so then the the, the fifth step is turning turning losing into learning right if you study any of the best people out there they've all made a million mistakes and it's not about making the mistakes it's about turning them into lessons and into, into what did you learn from it you know paul tudor jones would tell me he's like listen a necessary stop on the road to becoming a great trader is actually having a blow up, right? Because then you truly understand the importance of risk management and what it feels like to lose money and to lose your client's money. And it's it's not an academic experience, but it's like an embodied experience. You have the wisdom now. So like all of these things that, we you know, all these so-called failures, you know, Edison's 3000 tries at the light bulb before he got it and you know I was just thinking even about uh, Aaron Judge in baseball had like 62 home runs or whatever it was he also had the most strikeouts in the league nobody nobody cares about the strikeouts they just care that he had the most home runs right nobody it's it's really irrelevant the failures as long as you learn from them and 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 grow and if you look back at your life i'm sure you'll see that the biggest lessons the biggest things that you've learned that have made you who you are today actually didn't come from the easy moments, right? Yeah. I mean, I was just listening to your last podcast, all that came out of your childhood. All of those, you know, you could classify them as losses in some ways, but they they they're turn into like incredible lessons who shaped who you are today and what you're doing in the world and how you raised your children.
0: Yeah, they're the gifts. Yeah. Juan always says that, you know, what gifts did your teachers teach you? And, and your greatest teacher is not just... The Person who touched the most good stuff, is the person that touched the most, period. Yeah, which might be a lot of this is how I'm going to do it differently. Yeah,
1: you know, that's totally true. It reminds me of this one lesson in this course called The Petty Tyrant, another Castaneda thing where you, you know, in the first lesson, we harness the power of our teacher, we look at, you know, the qualities of, of a really important teacher in our life, what their effect on was a uh, what their effect was on us how we can harness their power to get through this course and how we're already a little bit like them but then we I flip it around and I say find somebody in your life that was completely disturbing to you that was like really rode you hard so for me the one that always comes up was my high school football coach <laughs> I
0: was just thinking of my yeah. high school football
1: coach <laughs> something about these high school football coaches <laughs> are the greatest petty tyrants so like the petty tyrant is somebody who's like a button pusher just gets on your nerves and like think about the importance of this in the workplace, because there's a lot of them, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we we're constantly forced to work with people, and you know, if we're working for any kind of organization, where there's going to be somebody that we have to work with who gets on our nerves a little bit. But the freedom comes when we can when we can literally rise above and harness their power. That there's something in them that's getting on our nerves that we actually need. So it's one of the ways that I do about it is I think about what was like the essence about you know. We, the, the way I do it in the course is I, I say make a hand movement that that the person would make that would resemble them, and I'm thinking about my high school football coach, just like pointing the finger at me, just like you know you fucker, whatever. You know, he was really kind of critical, and 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 and. But then when I think, like, what's the essence of this critical thing? And it's like there's something like very direct and like speaking his mind and speaking directly to me. There was like a presence. And, and there was a directness in like, where do I need to be more like that? Well, I need to protect my time more. I need to be more clear in my message in this course. I need to be more um, critical of the things that are not working for me and so forth. So all of these people that are like these disturbances to us, there's actually a part of that, 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 of that energy that we actually need more of in our life, which really goes well with that turning these... Uh, losses into learning or losses into lessons yeah
0: that's massive and there yeah. to- totally resonates too i used to think that guy didn't <laughs> like in the in the the, it, the benefit was it helps me be a better coach right? because yeah. i'm not going to coach that way he was hypercritical and, and uh um said it would never amount to shit you know like one of those guys like oh you know maybe that was like his uh weird fucked up way of, of propelling me to be better yeah you know? but um Like a coach that's more of a player's coach that takes you in and and privately says like, hey, you're doing good on X, Y, and Z, but I need you to do a little bit better on this thing. Here's how we can do that. Yeah. You know, not calling you out in front of the whole team. Yeah. What fucking happened? What are you fucking doing? That kind of thing, you know?
1: Yeah, certainly we don't condone these people's behavior, but and we wouldn't want to use it in the same way using the same meta skills that they use it. There would be a different sort of compassion or empathy in, in how we would use it, but even in these disturbances that we remember, there's something there like that. It's a part of a dreaming process waking us up to our full potential.
0: And I love that. Yeah. It's, I mean, because there are things like, like, you know, check says, you know, stop bullshitting yourself. There are times where you got to come in. And I was, I was when I gained five pounds in last week during fit for service. And I was like, oh man, I ate fucking conventional tacos. <laughs> five days in a row, I had breakfast tacos that were not <laughs> organic. They weren't, I was like, yeah, I'm bloated. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Like, but it takes me actually saying that other than just being confused about it. You know, it's like, I don't understand. You know, it's like, oh, no, I totally fucking get it. That's what I did for five days. Let's get back on Dr. Diet and get dialed in. Totally. Totally. You know, yeah. so there's a there. Yeah. The directness is a really cool, it's a really cool spin on on taking that and using it. I love that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Everything is here to, to waken us up, you know, from our dreams at night to the people that are disturbing us to the great teachers in our life to our flirts and our fantasies, our body symptoms, the, our little. Gestures that we make, everything, it's such an amazing, rich way to to enjoy and engage in life, realizing that this is not just a random universe that we're living in. Imagine walking into a museum and seeing all this beautiful art on the wall and just thinking that it was like randomly put there. That there wasn't like a board of directors, and there wasn't somebody who built the building, and there was an artist, and a marketing director, and a finance director, and some receptionists. Nature
0: made a pretty cool fucking building.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, all of a sudden, they're like, random
0: collisions of chemicals provided all this. We're in the
1: greatest mu- art. <laughs> we're in the greatest art museum there is, but we don't ever really think about the purposefulness or the intelligence behind the creation of it, right? And, and you know, for me, that every single thing that's in this beautiful museum that we get to live in is actually put there purposefully. And interestingly there, it's it's sort of, we're almost dreaming it up into our awareness to call out some part of ourselves that we're not in touch with. Which I think just makes life so much
0: more fun. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I love that. And Instead
1: of just like this whole thing just happened to collide together, and this is what happened. Here we are. Yeah, and okay. we're in
0: this lucky Goldilocks zone, and <laughs> yeah, that just that <laughs> gonna, makes a lot of sense. It's gonna blow up one day, and <laughs> because things again. just
1: collide together and turn into beautiful art in our life, right? Without having yeah. to do anything to do to make uh, it happen, just kick back and watch it. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> well, we've gone through six of them. What are we Yeah, doing well, we that have? was five, and then five. the last
1: one is just learning to detach. Right. So, you know, imagine you imagine you're you're playing roulette at the casino, right? The house has approximately a two or two and a quarter percent edge every time you play roulette. It has equal number of black and equal number of red. And then there's like two green, right? Zero and double zero, I think. So on any single roll, they don't know if they're going to win or lose. There's an equal distribution to every roll of their possibility to win or lose. But they know that if they play long enough, they're going to get that two percent. And that's the that's this that's the key to investing. Finding this process, developing your competitive edge, being very disciplined about investing your unit sizing and, and your capital appropriately, systematically, according to like a confluence of various indicators that you look at that actually define your competitive edge, constantly evaluating, using the the using the the intelligence of your body to inform you about your process and learning from your mistakes. If you follow that systematically, knowing that on any one bet, you don't know if you're going to win or lose, just like the house of the casino. But if you play long enough and you follow that process long enough, you will have stable, consistent returns that that go on for a very long career. And the same with with your life. And so that's a really hard thing to do though, because in investing, it's very hard to detach because we start to get very emotional you know, we, they used to call this being married to a trade. It's like, I have this idea, it's starting to work against me. And I started to make up all of these ideas around, you know, why I should stay in it, even though it's broken every single rule because it's like, it's becomes this emotional thing. But you have to like, you know, one of the ways that we got around that is at the beginning of the year, and I recommend people do this for their life. It's a very interesting thing. At the beginning of the year, Paul Jones would ask us to write out a plan for what 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 could happen in this year and what you would do about it. So for example, if I went down 5% and I was negative 5% on the year, how would I trade differently? What would, you know, how would I decrease my position size? Would I take a week off? Would I, you know, consult this person or that person? But systematically laying it out, because when you get into those moments, you can become very emotional, right? And so like I, I always think about it like how how could I do that for my personal life? Okay, if I have a plan that if I, okay, if I have five days of tacos in a row, I'm going to then, you know, commit to this, this this you know, I don't know, getting to sleep on time and eating more organic food and exercising in this particular way or doing more meditation or whatever it is. It can really be a great way to stop me from spinning out of control and, 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 and losing track of my process. So, you know, one of the ways I can think, of, think about detachment is we can control how we drive our car. We can, that's sort of like our process here. But if we speed, we can't control if we get pulled over. If we get pulled over, we can't control if we get a ticket. And if we can't, if we get a ticket, we can't control what the judge is going to do. Right? And so there are, all we can control is our process, but we have to get into this place where where we realize that we can't control the ultimate outcome. We can only control our approach to what we're doing. And everything else from there is out of our control. But we can kind of open up to that. And, and when we when we surrender to that, we can become less emotional about it and really become more systematic, better approach to how we were successful in our business and in our life.
0: I love that. Yeah. yeah it's reminding me of uh, uh, Alan Savory. Obviously, we're here at the farm right now. And um, Alan Savory is... is you know, known as one of the greats, you know, in the regenerative agriculture space and regenerating the land and doing all for the right reasons. He has a fantastic holistic management book. And, And there's a lot, you know, in any great book, it just, there's so many parallels that go beyond just whatever the book's talking about. Totally. One of the things he says is make a plan, assume a piece of it is wrong, observe the plan in action, make adjustments. Yep. Right, so like that—that that in a sense is a form of detachment. Like, hey, it's gonna, there's gonna be something here that doesn't fucking work out right. Yeah, know that's the case every time, but observe it, don't get emotionally attached to it, and then make adjustments. You know, and from there, know that that's the way you corrected it, you're gonna observe it and all those things, but plan for something to go wrong there too. One hundred percent. Take your hands off the wheel.
1: One hundred percent. Yeah, in my course, I call this questioning as a meta skill. So one of the one of the things that I learned from Paul Tudor Jones again is that he had this really amazing kind of mantra or approach where he would say that every single day he wakes up, he automatically assumes that every investment he has on in the books is wrong. And only when he can prove it to himself without a question of a doubt that it's the right trade does he stay in it. And I think that's a really freaking interesting approach. You know, what if we looked at our relationships like that? waking up each day and proving that this is actually the right relationship for us to be in, you know, without a question of a doubt or or our diet or our spiritual practices. It's like, it's, you know, there's two types of doubt. I'm not talking about this, this idea of like skepticism where you don't believe anything, you know, always everything is, yeah, everything is just, is just bullshit or something like that. But this is just, this is an approach to life as like Asking deep questions, asking deep questions about who am I? Why am I here? What's my my greatest purpose? And then, even like more simple things like, what, you know, why should I be on this diet? Why should I be on this exercise routine? Why should I do any of the things that I'm doing in my life? Really deeply questioning them, you know, and not in a skeptical way, but in an idea of like wanting to find out the deep truths, right? And the same thing can be for an investment or for uh, any business opportunity. It's this just having this approach to life as coming from a place of deep questioning and curiosity instead of like just assuming. Because what happens is we start to get this confirmation bias, right? Think about when, when you go on your phone on the internet, right? All of a sudden, like highly programmed algorithms are sending you more and more of the same information because they know what you like and every time you click on something that you like it realizes that okay this person likes this and i'm going to put them deeper and deeper into that little box that they're now assuming that is is the right viewpoint and and paradoxically excluding more and more information so the more and more you go on there you realize the less and less you actually know because you're more and more confirmed into your particular bias and so this is like this this is the same thing in investing your in life it's like really waking up and 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 looking at what are my biases and really questioning them. You know, what are my beliefs and my, my actions and my feelings and my behaviors and really questioning them and looking at them deeply.
0: I love it, brother. <laughs> is this available now? Is it running like evergreen or do you have a certain time limit for people to sign up? How does, this, how does this shake out?
1: Yeah, so I don't know when this podcast is going to drop, but the best way to find out information about it is to check out my Instagram for now, Jason Picard Official um, all the information is coming to, to my IG page there. And you can also go to my website, jasonpicard.org. And on there, you can download the, the document that I gave you for cool. free, which is the, the eight keys to greater wealth and well-being. So one, one thing we didn't really get a chance to talk about, but is, is, is outlined in that PDF, is that after you develop this process, I actually take you through the eight steps to how to generate how to actually master your process, how to get into the flow state, doing what you love to do, following your, your your body and the four doctors, talking about posture, how to set up your desk or how to even travel and commute, how to get into a state of coherence by using the breath, how to realize that distractions are, are, are the death to flow state, how to use open focus, how to alter your state. I call the microdose meditations, how to alter your state while at work without medicines. And then finally getting into this flow state. And so I, I wanted to, just in case somebody wasn't able to take my course, I wanted to synthesize really something that people could do without any more time or money or energy that they could actually do in their life today to generate more wealth and well being for themselves. So I created that PDF that i put on on my website that anyone can download just put in your name and, and you can download the eight keys and and then more information will come about the course which will likely launch about the beginning of May.
0: I okay. I, I teamed up with Freedom Builders. We'll be out before then. We're in March right now. Yeah. We'll be out we'll be out by the end of March together.
1: So. Yeah. I teamed up cool. with Freedom Builders, which is an amazing company and we put out a, a freaking badass course, man. It it visually looks incredible. It's like two cameras, Hollywood style 4K. We did it in my brand new house with Amazing things. I have, you know, um, eight check working in exercises for every step of mastery. I have eight uh, Aldoa exercises that I learned from Guy Voyer for every step of mastery. Uh, Eight visualizations that I created with a woman, uh, Rachel Epstein, who was on Paul's podcast, uh, wife of the, the late Dr. Jerry Epstein, created eight specific visualizations to work with each step. I work with the cranial nerve expert, Lois Laney, and we created eight steps to activate your cranial nerves so all your cranial nerves could be firing and you can be at, at your optimal level. And I even have uh, a whole soundtrack from Listening to Smile of Frequency oh, Music awesome. in the course paired with guided meditations. I do a whole entire drum
0: journey in, in there. It, it's, it's very full. <laughs> it's okay. very full. That sounds very comprehensive, yeah. top to bottom and all, is, on all yes. levels. That's incredible. Well, I expect nothing less from you, brother. Thank you. We'll link to your website and the Instagram in the show notes so people can one-click it and make it super easy. And uh, yeah, this is round two out of many, for sure.
1: Dude, it's so good to be with you, man. I love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Thank you.
0: I'm pumped to show you the farm. Let's get it. Let's go.